Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Addy podcast for Tuesday, August 22nd. How much do Canadians pay in taxes compared to housing? We discuss the findings of a new study on the topic with Jake Fuss, Director of Fiscal Studies at the Fraser Institute. It's been called a miracle drug, but is that a good thing? What you need to know about the diabetes drug turned weight loss tool Ozempic from Michael Orsini, Professor of Feminist and Gender Studies at the University of Ottawa. And finally, he's no doubt one of the most iconic video game characters of all time. And now, after 20 seven years, he's officially hanging up his cap. Yes, Mario is retiring. We get the details on Mario's departure and the end of an era for streaming giant Netflix from the gadget guy, Mike Yanni. The Fraser Institute has just released a new study today highlighting the taxes Canadians pay. The necessities of life, the Consumer Tax Index, tracks the total bill of the average Canadian household from 1961 to 2023. To understand what this all means, we have Jake Fuss, author of this study and director of fiscal studies at the Fraser Institute. Good morning to you, Jake. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here. Uh, first of all, before we uh, you know, get to some of your findings, quite extensive when you talk about spending 62 years, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there has been a lot that's changed since 1961. Um, and, and we know, obviously, it could be challenging for Canadian families to calculate all the various taxes they pay. Um, and that's why every year we calculate the total tax bill for them. Uh, and in 2022, we found the average Canadian family paid roughly 45% of their annual income in taxes. And that's more than they spend on basic necessities like food, clothing and housing combined. So tax is obviously the largest household expense for families in Canada. But that's, it seems outrageous. Are we higher than elsewhere? Is there anywhere else we compare in terms of countries? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, ultimately, our report doesn't compare ourselves to other countries, um, but we do track it over time. Um, so what we see is, that, you know, back in the 1980s, for instance, um, you know, the tax bill used to be about 40% of the annual income for Canadian families. Now, over time, it's risen to about 45%. Um, and even though we've seen increases in housing prices and food costs over time, that's been dwarfed by the increases in, um, in taxes for the average Canadian family. Um, so we've seen uh, a fairly substantial increase in total taxes paid by Canadian families, um, really since the 1980s in particular. So can you break down some of the finer points, Jake? How you calculate the total tax bill of the average Canadian family over a 62-year period. What sorts of factors and what did you include and what did you leave out? Yeah, so our calculations include all types of taxes. So it's not just the personal income taxes that you pay, um, you know, when you're looking at your pay stub. Um, it's also things like, you know, property taxes, sales taxes, um, carbon taxes. Um, so it includes all the various taxes that we pay to all three levels of government, federal, provincial, and local. Um, so ultimately, we're including all these different types of taxes in your tax bill. Um, and what we're seeing right now is that the average Canadian family is spending almost $50,000 a year in total taxes. Um, so it includes a whole host of different things. Um, and if we compare that to the average cost um, for housing, for instance, um, that generally constitutes uh, almost $23,000 of your income. So that just kind of puts it into perspective of just how much um, is going towards taxes right now. Jake, do you think we're getting good value for our money? So it's a good question. I mean, ultimately, um, our report aims to simply inform Canadians about how much they pay in taxes to government. But just because you pay more in taxes doesn't necessarily mean we get better services. So governments can spend money on things that, you know, don't actually help. And there's plenty of opportunity for waste. 
Um, but, you know, at the same time, um, it is ultimately up to Canadians whether they're getting, um, you know, good value for their tax dollars because um, it's, you know, it's also weighing, you know, what you're getting in return for those tax dollars too. Um, so ultimately, you know, we leave it up to Canadians to decide um, whether they're getting that value. It's interesting because, yes, times have changed since the 60s to 2023, but the average family itself has changed in that period. It, was that taken into account? Yeah, so we, we track what's something called the, the nuclear family. So essentially it looks at households with two or more people, um, you know, over time. And what we see is, you know, there have been obviously changes, especially in income earned by Canadian families and how they're constituted. Um, but ultimately over time we see that the biggest change is, is in terms of that tax bill growing um, for families. Um, so we do take into account, you know, the changing dynamics of, of Canadian families because we're tracking this um, over time. Um, but we're seeing really across the board, even for single individuals, um, or, you know, households of two or more people. Um, it's really the same trend. Uh, we've seen this tax bill increase um, and increase much faster than all the other basic necessities. And it's the single largest expense um, for households really across the board in Canada. So, Jake, I mean, what's the big takeaway here? There's not much we can do about it. Taxes and death, we know they're, they're all coming. So, I mean, what, what do you take away from, from this information and, and what should we glean from it? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I mean, I, I think ultimately it's about getting the discussion going on, you know, what, what we should do to, with the tax system. You know, are there changes that we can make to make it, you know, ease the burden on average families, for instance? Um, and, you know, I think there's obviously a lot of discussion right now going about uh, cost of living and affordability. And I think part of it, too, is broadening the discussion about affordability to also include things like taxes, too. So it's not just food and housing that are rising in prices over time. Um, we also need to consider, you know, the effective affordability for families when we have the tax bill also constituting nearly half of your income each year. Um, so I think that's a really important part is getting that discussion going and broadening it about affordability overall. Interesting conversation, and I think we all have a stake in this conversation. Thanks so much for your time, Jake. Thanks very much for having me on. That is Jake Fuss, Director of Fiscal Studies at the Fraser Institute. Eligible. Yeah, you know that commercial everyone is talking about, Ozempic, the drug invented to help diabetics, but now super popular for its weight loss side effects. Our next guest says the results are simply unsustainable. Joining us now, Michael Orsini, a professor for the Institute of Feminist and Gender Studies, the School of Political Studies for the University of Ottawa. Thanks for joining us, Professor. Appreciate your time this morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, how do you think the language we use around Ozempic, claiming this is a miracle drug, do you think that is a, a, a negative thing or is that just giving people a lot of hope? Yeah, I think you kind of answered the question in some way. Uh, I, I think the, the idea of providing um, hope to folks is, is seductive, I think, for a lot of folks. But it's, uh, it's ultimately unsustainable because, you know, as we know, Lots of folks who who have been who have started Ozempic have to use Ozempic for a very long time. It's not um, it's not sort of some sort of magical weight loss cure uh, that you can sort of just uh, abandon when you've lost the requisite amount of weight you were seeking to lose. It's um, it becomes something you de- you become dependent upon. Uh, and I think we were you know we're, what, what I'm concerned about as well as I'm not a real doctor. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm a social scientist who studies health and disability. Is um, I think there there are important questions to ask about, uh, you know, responsibilities of pharmaceutical companies as well in terms of peddling some of these um, things that they're not calling miracle cures, but they kind of are calling miracle cures in some way. And you see that online. I think you see that in, in social media. 
um, as well. Does this uh, beg the definition between thin or skinny and healthy and that they're not always mutually exclusive? Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of folks uh, who, if, if you if you pay attention sometimes to, to social media, the folks who are becoming attracted to Ozempic uh, would not even be identified as um, as obese uh, or morbidly obese, according to this measure that um, the body mass index, which you know a lot of people have said is really flawed too. Um, it um, you know so the, the the folks who are concerned about their weight are, are, are would not fall under uh, under that category um, and they might just lose want to lose 10 pounds 20 pounds um, I think it also kind of feeds into this idea that folks should be doing other things to lose weight should be eating better should be uh, exercising and uh, and so you know the, the this idea of, uh, of something that like an injection could um, could result in you know appetite depression and weight loss um, is is considered to be more convenient um, is considered to be more effective and uh, and you know what we were talking about in, in this piece we wrote uh, in the conversation was essentially saying you know that there's is there you know is there a way in which uh, one can imagine that uh, it's not about your willpower you know which is which is something that people who have uh, weight issues are confronted all, all over, you know, all the time. But, you know, that this idea that people are looking for a quick fix because they're actually really don't, don't have the kind of willpower to do the hard work. Professor, and thanks so much for your time. The- I have to leave it there for our time. We are going to send people to the article that you referenced at theconversation.com. Talks about Ozempica, the, the miracle drug. Is it a cure for obesity and, and the harmful idea of a future without fat? We thank you so much for joining us this morning and appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, Michael Orsini, professor at the Institute of Feminist and Gender Studies, School of Political Studies at the U of O. He is no doubt one of the most iconic video game characters. And now after 27 years, he's officially hanging up his cap. Yes, Mario is retiring. It's Tech Tuesday and our gadget guy, Mike Yanni, joins us to talk about this and more, including a look at how Google's AI browser is faring south of the border. (laughs) Spoiler alert, not so well. Morning to you, Mike. Thanks so much for being with us. Good morning. Yeah, Google, uh, the the new AI browser, not doing well south of the border. Have you guys been kind of following this at all? No, explain for us. Okay, so Google's testing out artificial intelligence to help kind of bring up the best search results. The idea is you'll find exactly what you're looking for using AI. And, and we know that this can be a really powerful tool, right? But um, apparently not doing well. I should say this is a limited test south of the border. So not available here yet. And maybe that's not a bad thing because some of the results, they've been questionable at best. So some people have been posting screenshots of their searches. Some are surprising, maybe some a little bit shocking. Um, one search explained that guns are good that guns eliminate 2.5 million crimes each year. And by carrying a gun, you act as a law-abiding citizen. Um, Another search gave a recipe on how to safely cook poisonous mushrooms known as the angel of death. So this is an extremely toxic mushroom. And when this recipe was viewed by experts, they confirmed if you followed this, if you followed it, it would result in a timely and painful death. Um, you know, the AI is also stating that in some searches that there's there's benefits to slavery. So um, not going uh, over so well right now. <laughs> Very interesting. It's not going anywhere. So <laughs> you think that we're going to see it but fine-tuned down the line there, Mike? 
Oh, of course. I mean, this is just the beginning, right? And they even say that this is experimental in you know early stages. That's why it's not being released worldwide. So it's got a ways to go. Um, and you, you know what, though? Maybe this is and maybe this is a bit brilliant to be asking me. Maybe this is part of the master plan for the machines to take over. Feed us dumb humans enough stupid advice like eating poisonous mushrooms and we take ourselves out, leaving room for them to take over. Who knows? That's a scary thought. Okay, let's talk about <laughs> Mario because I think this is going to be very sad, sad news for so many. But the man who voiced Mario stepping aside. Charles Martinet. Yeah, he's voiced Mario for 27 years, hanging up his cap now. Do you guys know the very first game that Mario spoke in? No, which one was that? Oh, Donkey Kong? No? No, he didn't speak in it. Uh, the very first one, a lot of people think that it was Mario 64. It was actually Mario Teaches Typing back in 1994. Um, Charles Martinet, by the way, he voices also Mario's brother Luigi, uh, the baby versions of the Plumber Brothers, Wario, Waluigi. So he, he voices a number of characters. Um, I actually met him at E3. This is probably about going 10 years back. He was just wandering through the Nintendo booth and uh, people were coming up to him. And I gotta say, I talked to him for a while. He was such a nice guy. He stopped. He talked to everybody. He actually would record voice um, voicemail messages as Mario for people on their phones. <laughs> uh, just a really nice guy. End of an era there. Uh, I want to ask you this because so many people out there, uh, for example, we, we, we tech changes and it morphs. I uh, was speaking with somebody a, a few weeks ago, maybe it was one of my kids, talking about, you know, how Amazon changed the book world. And on Amazon, we got all of our books. And then Amazon changed much more than books. So you still buy books, but I think that that's probably further down the list of everything that we buy on Amazon. Same with Netflix. I think a lot of people out there don't realize that it wasn't just a streaming service, but Netflix started with mail order DVDs and kind of a return system, which I'm hoping you can break down for us. But what I didn't realize is that service was still available till now. Yeah, hard to believe. And, and do you want to feel old? Do you, it doesn't, okay, Netflix doesn't seem that old, right? No. It seems still fairly new. Netflix has actually been renting out DVDs by mail for 25 years. That's crazy. Like, where did the time go? Like, I still remember, you know, seeing those ads for Netflix not too long ago. Uh, so officially ending that that mail delivery service at the end of September. They've talked, we and I think we've actually talked about this. They've been saying it's coming to an end. They're going to end it. So finally they're saying, I think it's September 27th, the last order goes out. And they're doing a little special gift for those who hung on till the end. So the company says it's going to be sending out up to 10 bonus discs on the final mail out. That's funny. So interesting. A little little bonus for those who, who clung on right to the end. And you know what, Netflix, you're right. It, it changed the entertainment industry. You know, it's widely believed that Netflix brought down the brick-and-mortar video rental stores. And that's, mm -hmm. I don't know about you guys, I miss it. Yeah. I truly miss it. And I know they're still out there. I, I'm sure I saw one in Canmore not too long ago. It's still a rental place. And I was actually in Brandon, Manitoba this summer. And there's a place called Jiffy Food Mart. And they still have a full rental section oh, for Blu-ray. And I had to ask them. I'm like, seriously, do people still rent them? And they said, you would be surprised how many people still come in here and rent Blu-ray discs. That's amazing. That means you need a, a disc player yeah, or a, a DVD yeah. player. Question, or how? how do you, where do you find those these days? Right? You, you got to look in the, hopefully you have one in the basement, right? Yes. But yeah. But, but I should mention, though, by the way, you know, the company is saying thank you. And this is this bonus 10 discs. I thought this was like their kind of their big hurrah and they're kind of just getting rid of all their discs. Yeah. Turns out you still have to return them.
No, jeez. Oh, October 27th, they said, by the way, you got to return them by October 27th. What, what are kind they gonna... of a gift is that? Here's a present, give what it back. What are they going to do? Uh, a question for you, because you happen to be the gadget guy, Mike Yanni. Oh, for those folks who think they do not have a, a DVD player anymore, if their computer, if they have a laptop still with a, a DVD player, they can kind of, uh, kind of Chromecast or Apple uh, project it onto their TVs, can't they usually? Yeah, yeah. No, as long as your computer has a drive. Um, and if you have Apple Play or yeah. Chromecast, like you said, if you have a Google device, uh, you can uh, mirror it right to your television. But you know what? You know, we talk about changes in technology. Not many laptops yeah. it's true. have actual DVD drives or Blu-ray drives anymore. Yeah. So crazy. But yeah. if you're a gamer, if you have a PS5, then you've got a Blu-ray disc drive. <gasps> Look at this guy. All the things. Knows it all. all the things. All of the things. Thank you so much, Mike, for your time. Have a great rest of your day, and we look forward to catching up with you in a couple weeks. Thanks so much. He is Mike Yachty, known as the Gadget Guy. Of course, you can find him online at Gadget Guy Mike. On YouTube, find his channel by searching Gadget Guy Mike Yachty.